Well, good morning. As we spend our time in the Word today, please, um, I would ask you that after our time in the Word that you would linger a little while. We have some special music for you to enjoy and to be built up in your faith by at the end of the sermon. Well, before we begin, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time we have to use this electronic means to to gather together around your word. We pray this morning that your spirit would be uh, moving in our hearts to build us up in our faith, to teach us what you want us to learn today. We pray that you'd help us to apply the scriptures as we learn them, to be better equipped to serve you, to honor you, to be glorifying to you and holy in Christ. And so we pray this morning that you'd help us with these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, for our time together today, please turn in your Bibles to Corinthians, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And beginning in verse 1, I will read as you follow along, verses 1 through 14. Solomon writes to us, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise man into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Well, I titled this morning's sermon, Looking for What is Good in Times of Adversity. And what I'd like to focus on this morning in particular is verse 14, where Solomon writes, In the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity consider. God has made one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. So I'm going to ask you this morning the question, when adversity strikes, what is your first response? Obviously, today, none of us are are immune from what's going on. The big topic is COVID-19. Where does your thinking go when it comes up in conversation or as you watch 
the news or read or listen to the news, or you are engaged in conversations with people around you. Well, there's three options that you probably have. One is, A, you have nothing to worry about. It will just all blow over. Not a big deal. B would be, well, I have my concerns, certainly. I'm taking some precautions. Or, or three, maybe you are, you are one of the other categories. You're gripped by fear and anxiety. And I think that we all fit into one or more of these three categories. So which one are you today? Which category would you place yourself in, in during this COVID-19 epidemic? On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of fear or anxiety? Certainly the coronavirus is an extremely serious and dangerous virus. It carries a potentially fast and deadly punch. Just a few days, in fact, very close to home, a dear brother from this church lost his brother to the COVID-19 virus. Very serious, very serious virus. These are difficult times for the family and many who are living in these times. So do you have concern? You take precautions, or does it cause a paralyzing fear within you? What do you focus on during these COVID-19 times? Everywhere you turn today, there are myriads of ideas and suggestions as to what to do about this virus. We are certainly living in very interesting times as we face this global challenge. And Personally, I'm very thankful for those who are on the front lines dealing with this virus as they care for people in hospitals and medical facilities. I am very confident to know that scientists and medical professionals and governments are feverishly looking for a cure and an immunization to this, this virus. I'm very thankful to God for that. But in our time today, I'd like to just look at and take a, have a desire to, to walk through some vital texts of Scripture to help us walk through our current difficult time as we face this crisis together in our world today. So in our time together today, I'd like to just do a very uh, quick flyover over three, I think, very vital texts of Scripture that speak to the issue of living through difficult times. Whether it's COVID-19, a car accident, a family member being sick or dying, it doesn't matter. Whatever trial you face, I think these truths will help you help us gain a biblical perspective as we live and think rightly through adversity. Again, I've titled the sermon, Looking for What is Good in Times of Adversity. And today, uh, a sermon will be looking at three points. And we'll look at, first of all, a past design found in Ecclesiastes 7. The second point would be a present hope found in Hebrews chapter 12. And our third point, we'll be looking at a promised future found in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. So a past design, a present hope, and a promised future. One of the many genres of the Bible that I enjoy so much is uh, looking at the, the wisdom literature of well, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And some of the many topics of that li- wisdom literature address topics like despair, discouragement, uh, times of deep sadness and loss, frustration. I think of the, the great psalm of Asaph, Psalm 73, where is one of my favorites, where Asaph is lamenting about the prosperity of the wicked as he looks around his world and he sees people advancing, gaining strength, and yet wickedness is all around 
But it's then when he goes to God in the temple and he understands that God has a much bigger picture in view than he does or that we do. And so we wonder about the prosperity of the wicked. Well, let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes 7.14. Just a little background to Ecclesiastes. One, again, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. And we look at the purpose of the writing in Ecclesiastes is to give us, in a word, perspective. What is a pros- per- proper perspective on life? And there are two that run through the book. Solomon, on, on one hand, looks at life under the sun. He, he uses this word, this phrase, 29 times through uh, Solomon's writing in Ecclesiastes. And basically what he's doing is he's looking at life through the lens of the horizontal, outside of God's, uh, pic- the picture of God in, within look, in helping us with these, these things. And he, he tries to understand the world without God and comes to the conclusion that everything is meaningless, as he says. Everything is empty. It's chasing after the wind. He says it's all vanity, meaning that it's like vapor over a tea kettle. It's nothing. It comes today, and it's gone tomorrow. Some of you might remember way back in the day of the, the music group Kansas, and they came out with a song, Dust in the Wind, Dust in the Wind. All we are is dust in the wind. What a bleak picture of man without God. But like Asaph, Solomon looks at life with God in view, and his perspective changes. Life for Solomon begins to make sense. Solomon begins his search for meaning with these words. And he says, life is not vanity and meaninglessness. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, he says there is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. And then he concludes in chapter 12, 13, he says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God. Keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. These are very sobering words. So how you and I respond to every event will be judged. So again, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 this morning My desire is for the church today to pause, reflect on life today in 2020 and the crisis we face in this pandemic. And we take a look from a biblical perspective of what is good in times of adversity. We walk away from our time together, hopefully, with a full assurance that in Christ, the best is yet to come. So the first point we'd like to look at together is a past design Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. Ecclesiastes 7 here, God is sovereign over prosperity and adversity. Indeed, he is in, in sovereign over every event going on in the universe. He orders every event. He orders every event for a specific purpose. So I'll ask you the question this morning, ask ourselves this question, for what purpose has God ordered this present diversity, adversity into your life? Why has he ordered this present pandemic to come? It it is affecting all of us in some way. 
And so we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, 10 through 12, in the beginning, he says in verse 6, whatever exists has already been named. And at the end of chapter, verse 12, he says, who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? And then move ahead down to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, 13, and 14. Solomon moves from considering life under the sun to verse 13, where he says, consider, consider the work of God. This word consider means to look intently at something, to focus deeply on it, or to to dial in to this point here. And he asks the question, for who is able to straighten what God has bent? Good question. Notice here that Solomon pulls us right into the sovereignty of God and asks who can change what God does. And the obvious answer is no one. No one can thwart what God does. In verse 14, he says, In the day of prosperity, be happy or be joyful. We see here that prosperity is sovereignly ordained by God. Prosperity here means simply anything which is, which is good. It has a wide range of meaning, and it covers it all from practical, economic, material good, and even spiritually good things. So Solomon says here that in times of prosperity, be happy or be joyful. And then back in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, right, he writes, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. We must keep in mind that God gives us labor. God gives us food. God gives us drink. He orders our prosperity. I think we'd all agree that when times of adversity come our way, we're happy, joyful. Things are good. Life is great. Things are going well. But what about it? Adversity. What about adversity? When you come into or I come into times of adversity, how do I respond? How does adversity affect my joy? Well, I, I have to admit sometimes it does. It's a circumstantial thing for me that I'm working through, but sometimes I can be uh, an expert in grumbling. And this is not to be the case as we continue to read in verse 14. He says, but in the day of adversity, the word translated adversity here means anything, any idea that comes across with, uh, that produces misery or distress. We typically call it adversity when we evaluate our environment or circumstances in terms of pain or difficulty that we experience. So we see what's going on today. We, have a, we are in time of great global and national adversity, and we are also in times of personal adversity. Notice here that where Solomon goes next in verse 14, he says, consider, consider, again, focus on this, that, that God has made the one as well as the other. So we turn to Ephesians chapter 1 here, where Paul writes to the Ephesian church. He says in verse 11 of Ephesians 1, he says, In him, God, we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Good things, bad things, prosperous things, 
adverse things, all of it. I'm reminded of the, of the, the Westminster Confession of Faith in 1647 on the section of God's eternal decree says this, quote, God from all eternity did by the most wise and counsel, holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Everything is under God's control. The late R.C. Sproul said it this way, quote, Do you realize that if there is one maverick molecule running loose in this cosmos, beyond the pale, beyond the scope of God's sovereign control and authority, you have no reason as a Christian to believe a single promise of the future that God has made. He goes on, because if there is something outside his sovereign control, then that means that there is something that can thwart his plan for the future and means that Ephesians chapter 111 is a lie. It would mean that God works some things according to his will, but he doesn't. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Close quote. So I ask you this morning, does Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 include even coronavirus? And the answer is absolutely it does. So again, back to Ecclesiastes 7, 13 and 14, we find the words, consider the work of God. And ask, we, as we consider or look intently at the work of God, we should ask the question, why does God give us days of prosperity, then give us hard times later on? Why does he do that? Why is he causing adversity now? Is there a purpose in it? Well, we look at verse 14 of chapter 7. Now, one reason is so we will know that nothing is certain in this life. Both prosperity and adversity come from God. So again, back to Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event. One of the realities as a, as a Christian, life as a Christian, is that we, we face hardships and difficult days. There's no question about that. You don't have to live very long on this planet to find out that you're going to face, are facing diverse times, uh, adverse times. You could be poor today and rich tomorrow, or rich tomorrow, rich today and poor tomorrow. It, whatever. It doesn't, we have no control over anything. How would you handle that if you were to become, if you are rich today and poor tomorrow? What would your response be to that circumstance? Well, depending on what God does with the our leaders of this nation, the latter could become a reality for many, or maybe even all of us. Because of the national shutdown, hard economic times may come, or may be here for some of us already. Do you worry? Are you anxious? Does you have a, do you have a deep concern, a paralyzing concern of those realities, potential realities? Well, if you do, you're in good company. I think many do today. You're not alone. But one good thing that we have is a God who gives us a remedy for our fear and worry and concern. Consider Psalm 55:22, where the psalmist writes, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And then in Philippians chapter 6, verse 4, verse 4 verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So our first point we see is that God has a design in this. It's from a past design. God is sovereign. He orders every event in the universe, and he orders every event for a specific purpose. For what purpose has God ordered this present adversity into your life? Well, let's find out. Next, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 through 1 through 15. I'm not going to read the text, but I'm just going to cover the highlights, some high points of this great portion of Scripture. And we'll look at point number two in our present hope. We are offered a present hope. Number one, hardships produce endurance. Number two, hardships train us. And number three, hardships make us more and more like Jesus in holiness. They are part of the sanctifying process. So are you wondering today in this current crisis, are you wondering where, where's God in my current situation, in my current distress or my current despair? Well, he's not on vacation. He's not left. He's not asleep. He is very much present and active in our day. And one of the things that he's doing, one of the many things he is doing, is he is training us to be holy like Jesus. He is training us to bear fruit for his glory. We will all experience adversity, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to endure hardship. They are for a purpose. They are not random events. We think about Jesus in Isaiah 53.3, where Isaiah refers to our Savior as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If we are to be like him, we will be acquainted with grief. In Romans 8.28 and 29, a, a familiar text to many, many Christians is, is this real hope for the Christian as we think about that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, as he conforms us to be like his son. And in the letter to the Hebrews, we find that the Hebrew Christians were going through some various hardships, and because they were Christians, they were, they were ill-treated and, and were, had to endure hardship in many ways, as you look in chapter 11, 36 through 38. And even though they faced hardships, they remained strong in their faith. They endured the race. In chapter 12, the, the writer of Hebrews teaches them and us what our Heavenly Father does for us through difficult times. The writer of Hebrew, Hebrews in chapter 12 uses four words I'd like to look at in that text to describe what our Father is doing through our trials and difficulties in this life. And the first thing we see is that he is producing endurance. The second thing, he, he, we see he is doing it through discipline. The fourth thing is for holiness. And the fifth thing, by training. And it's for the purpose of producing fruit of righteousness in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. God is conforming us to be like Jesus. Number one, notice that in verses 1 through 3, he uses the word endurance or endure three times 
And this word means to stay or to remain, remain at a task. And it conveys the idea of remaining at something that's difficult, something that is hard work. I think of the Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps. Is the, he's the most successful and most decorated Olympian of all times with a total of 28 gold medals. And that's not to include the silver. Phelps, who holds the all-time records for Olympian gold medals. It took him an incredible amount of discipline and training to get those 28 medals. He remained at the task until he achieved the goal. He didn't just take a swim out in the pond, step up to the podium at the Olympics, and, and hoard 28 medals. It took an immense amount of training, immense amount of endurance. The writer of Hebrews uses an athletic event of running a race. The idea here the, we face is to remove obstacles that get in the way and stay at it when the pressure is on. And we are not to grow weary. The second word I'd like to draw your attention to is, the next word here is discipline. This word discipline is used for uh, child training, for a parent who is training a child, and certainly it applies since we are his children. But I think you get the idea that in, it is used in verse 5, discipline, verse 6, discipline, verse 7, discipline, verse 8, discipline, verse 9, discipline, verse 10, discipline, verse 11, discipline. You get his point. It means to train children, simply, to train us. It is used of a father's training of his son. In verse 5, he says, don't give up. In verse 6, he says, it does it because he loves us. And in verse 10, he disciplines for our good. For a reason. So that we may share his holiness. And he does it because he loves us. The goal of the Father is to train us to be holy like Jesus. It's not easy. It is not easy. It is not an easy task to endure training. And, and Hebrews uh, 1211, he, he goes on to say that all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. He is saying it brings grief. Discipline is difficult and takes hard work. The idea behind this word discipline is, is also sorrowful. It is hard work with lots of grief or pain. In Hebrews 12.1, I believe the the reason that his hearers had stopped running the race with endurance as he addresses that is they were they had allowed themselves somehow or some way to become tripped up in the race. They, they became ensnared and, and gave up. Well, the writer says that they needed more discipline, more sorrowful discipline as we do. So let me ask you another question. In, in times of trial, do you normally run with endurance? Do you remain under the pressure? Or do you get easily ensnared in them, give up and stop running and just wish the race was over? In this present COVID-19 race or trial we find ourselves in, are you running with endurance? I don't know your situation. You could be sick with COVID or you could be simply inconvenienced by you because you can't get to a a place you want to get to at this time, whatever, whatever 
whatever you find yourself in, how are you holding up to your difficulties? How are you? How is your faith holding up under the pressure? Well, endurance and discipline are for our good so that we'll be holy like Jesus. He says, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline yields something, which moves us to the next point, number three. The next word that the writer uses is holiness or sanctification in verse 10. See, the Father trains us so that we will be like Jesus. And he says in verse 14 that without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. The scriptures teach us that trials are productive for the Christian and are used by God to make us more and more holy like Jesus. The Christian already has the the righteousness of Christ as we think about the imputed righteousness of Christ on his people. But in our activities and character, we need work. And God works in our lives over time in what is known as progressive sanctification, that moving upward and onward to be more and more like Jesus until we get to glory. And that's what we're looking at here. God works through trials to make us more holy in character and in our living. Well, the fourth word I'd like to look at this morning is in found in verse 11. It's the word train. And this word has to do with the exercise of the, the body in a school of athletics. Uh, another related word from this word is gymnazo, and I think you get the idea is where we were to get our word gymnasium. It means to train someone or oneself. It carries the idea of going to the gym for exercise, not as a spectator. The idea here is in, the, in this context to, to take the discipline or teaching we receive from the Father, get in and remain in the hard race or trial, and actively use the training that we have reserved, received. In verse 11, he says the training is to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So you see the goal here through these words is a progressive goal that's going on in this text. God is conforming us to be like Jesus, and he tells us to go on and tell us that we are to set our eyes on Jesus in the midst of difficulties. It's not much different than the Olympic gold medalist Phelps, where he, he's gained all these medals. People look to him for guidance, for direction in that particular discipline. And so we are to look at Jesus if we are to be excelling in our Christian life. Notice in verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that so no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. So in this trial, are you finding that you are becoming bitter in these hard days? Do you complain or grumble about the current situation we are in? Again, I have to admit that this morning that sometimes I do. I, at some little inconvenience that I, that kind of gets in my way, I, I find myself sometimes complaining about it. Well, when I complain or whatever sin I fall into, I, it's a re- reminder 
to me out of Hebrews chapter 12 that number one, I need to endure or remain under the pressure no matter how great or small it is. Number two, I need more discipline or training from the Father. Number three, I need to exercise or work out that training or instruction. Number four, so that I will be more like Jesus Christ. And number five, so that I will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, and in particular, the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience, Galatians 5.22. That's my thing when I complain. Or whatever it is you're falling into, these five points are what you need to understand and become more like Jesus Christ. Well, turn to James, James chapter 1 in your Bibles for a minute. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to read to you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 1 Corinthians chapter 10, rather, verse 13. Paul taught the Corinthian Christians that no temptation or trial has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. When it comes to trials, we all face them, and God is faithful to us through them. Well, what does, how does God show that? How does God show his faithfulness? Well, if you continue in the verse, Paul continues to write here. He says he makes a way of escape for what we cannot handle. He says, who will not allow you, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation or test or trial will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. You see, God is bringing the trial, and he's always also bringing the escape. He does the work, and we do the work. James chapter 1, familiar text to many Christians as we face trials, James 1, 2 through 5, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking and in nothing and in verse five but if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of god and who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him and in verse 12 he says blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Tremendous promises in these scriptures, amazing promises that we, uh, we should cling to here. Well, so we've looked at a past design, a present hope, and now we'll move into a promised future. In 1 Corinthians number 3, a promised future, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we we see there that in verses 8 through 11, uh, affliction is producing for us a glorious and future hope. In verses 8 through 11, Paul describes for us the great affliction and trials that the first century Christians were receiving. And Paul encourages them in verse 14 to, to look to the future glory that awaits us. Notice in verse 15 that, as you live out the gospel in these trying times, our trials and suffering should cause the gospel to go out, which will produce the giving of thanks to the glory of God. See verses 17 through 18, where Paul writes, 
for momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What a dynamic perspective to have as we look around our world and consider what's going on. But notice the contrast here in, this, in these verses. He uses the two phrases, momentary light affliction is producing for us a, an eternal weight of glory. Notice again the contrasting words, momentary versus eternal, light versus weight, implying heaviness, or affliction versus glory. Paul is teaching us here that in the light of eternity, our trials are truly light when compared to what they produce. According to 2 Corinthians, if you move down through the verses there in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8, we, we see these realities here that Paul talks about. The realities that we, are, that we see in this text ought to produce in us a confident faith. In this time of COVID-19, we are living, it gives us a great opportunity to have the greatest hope that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the future gospel, the future glory that awaits us through the gospel. It also gives us an opportunity to offer the, the greatest hope of future glory that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ to those we come into contact with. You see, today, in our current environment, people are fearful, hopeless, anxious, as they hear and see the media, or wear masks, or social distance. There's fear going around. And Christians today, we all have the hope the world needs in the gospel of Jesus Christ in these trying times. And so, too often people fail to trust God sufficiently to see any good in adversity. And so as I close, back, to, back into Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we see that God is doing a great work in us today. Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says, asks the question, says it makes these statements, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. And in verse 10, Solomon says, do not say, why is it? that the former days were better than these. You know, you hear the, the statement, oh, the good old days. Let's, if we could just go back to the good old days. Well, that's a foolish statement, Paul Solomon says. He says, do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? Because they weren't. They were never better than they are today. See, wisdom for Solomon says this, that the, for the Christian, the end is better, not the beginning. And the future is better, not the past. The future is glorious in Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you the question as we close. Are you looking for what is good in times of adversity? There is good in adversity because it has a glorious ending. So may we run the race with endurance. Well, as I said in the beginning, 
before we close in prayer, we have a little bit of special music for you to just take a few minutes and reflect on the good things that God does in us and through us through trials. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these probing questions and statements of Scripture that really cause us to think hard about our days in this pandemic. Not only today, but the future. As we face trials, when this is over, we will still face hardships and difficulties. Help us to remember these truths that we've learned through your scriptures, that you have a plan. We have a a present reality of glorious fruit bearing for you. And we also look forward to the future as we look forward to the future glory that awaits us as Christians. So we pray this morning that as we reflect on these things, reflect on these times that we'd not be fearful or worried or grumble and complain, but we'd look to you, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and run the race with endurance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
you, Lord. Thank you so much for um, just the truth that we heard from your word and, and in the song. Um, for every reason that we have to be fearful, to be upset, to be anxious, we have 10,000 more to be grateful because of who you are. Um, just knowing that your, your, your name is great and your heart is kind, that you, you care for us and that you love us. Um, even in these, these hard times, um, that, uh, in the end, we, we know the ending. We know that you win and that, um, that we, uh, we get to look forward to, um, seeing you in glory, even in these hard times. Um, so I, I pray that these words would be heavy on our hearts, that we would be uh, convicted to, to trust you, um, even, uh, regardless of, of what is happening and what may happen. Um, I pray for the rest of this day that uh, we would just be seeking to glorify you and honor you in, in everything that we do and, and say and think. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.